The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. G'day everyone, Macca19 here and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast, coming to you live on Port Fan Radio. Joining me as co-host, once again, is Porsche. How you Hello. going? Yeah, look, the wake-up calls just keep on coming. Um, I just found out about 15 minutes before this podcast that my dad is a Trump supporter, so there you go. <laughs> there you go. Look at that. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I literally have no opinion on the uh, American presidential campaign at all, to be honest. Yeah, but look, even if you have no opinion, that's the wrong opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Now, let's get straight into it. Talk about our sweet and sour. One thing we found sweet, one thing we found sour about Port Adelaide on the weekend. Uh, Porsche, I'll start with you. All right, sweet. We had them goalless in that first quarter. That was very satisfying. Yeah, that was um, very satisfying. And I think, look, there's been a lot of, I suppose, in this second half of the season, there's been a lot of talk about what a good job Nathan Bassett's doing in defence, and you'd have to say that's definitely the case right now. Um, you know, oh, yeah. like there's there's holes in individual players' games, absolutely, and there has been, I don't think there's been a, like there hasn't been a perfect player in defence all season. No. Um, so the fact that the team, the, the defensive team as a unit have performed so consistently with, you know, pretty significant ins and outs happening most weeks. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. So that that's that's my sweet for this week is just the defensive team and the fact that Bassett seems to have them under control. No, that's definitely a good one. I think... Um... We've probably had the most unsettled defence we've ever had at AFL yeah. level, to be honest. Let's we've had it. so many changes, so many ins and outs on almost a weekly basis. And to have our three most experienced uh, defenders probably not uh, not there anymore uh, mm. is um, has been sort of cause for concern at times throughout the year. But, uh, but the young guys just keep standing up. I thought Burn Jones was really good on the weekend again. Um, I thought Austin... Played just about his best game, I thought, on uh, Rory Lobb for the most part. Okay. He, he was really, really good. Uh, Pittard played his best game for uh, for probably four or five weeks, I think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Stewart did a decent job as well. So, yeah, there was a lot to like about our defensive group. Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, they're just playing uh, – not, they're not playing perfectly. They're a long way from that. But they've just been – they know what they're doing. They know what yeah. they're doing for the most part. So that's been They've really stood good. up under, uh, yes. under pressure and – yeah, That's all you yeah. can ask, I guess, uh, from Absolutely. those players. So, yeah. And young Kudos guys to have them. too. They've done yeah. well. Mm. Yep, that's my sweet. My sweet is, uh, is probably Ebo. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's yeah. a player on our list who has been as criticised as much as he has since probably mid-2014 when he started to go through a bit of a down patch. But I think, you don't reckon? Oh, there'd have to be a few. Like, I mean, Polek for sure. Oh. Um, There'd be heaps of coffee. Yeah, but I mean, he's, he's spent like a third of his time with us injured, so he probably true, doesn't true. count. No, I know, but okay. But I don't know, and everyone questions Butcher every week, so. True, true. But for a key player, I reckon he's yes, got right. more criticism. For a guy in the leadership else. group. Yeah. Well, except for Matthew Lobby. Yeah, for sure. I um, can probably keep naming them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but look, I thought his, uh, his last six or seven games have been really, really good, really high standard. I'm I'm absolutely stoked to hit the scoreboard yesterday. Kick four goals, that was great. Um, looks like he's starting to get his confidence and run back, um, and he's performing on a weekly basis. So for me, that's um, that's definitely a good thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the main issue with eBay, and it's I guess it's always going to be an issue, is just you, people are critical of his disposal. I'm critical of his disposal, but his endeavours right up there. His yeah. accountability is pretty good. Um, and look, I mean, in a lot of ways, this is going to sound like it's a negative assessment, but he's kind of like our Sean McManus um, in that he had similar deficiencies in his game. He was never going to be part of a top four side, but he was played his heart out and he was a key player a lot of times for Fremantle. Yeah, it's, uh, that's a bit harsh. <laughs> I, know, I know it's harsh, but it's kind of the spot he's in in our side right now. Oh, I never thought I'd hear that name again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's the, I think it's the best comparison I can think of because he played that similar sort of kind of physical, kind of pacey, lots of run, um, not fantastic disposal. And any time people would think, oh, he's no good, he'd come out and he'd still be one of the best players because everyone else was underperforming. Yeah. Yeah. See, I reckon, um, I reckon he should be at more of a Scott Thompson level. Yep, I Maybe agree. Different sort of player, but he's a bit more outside than what Thompson is. But he should be at his level where he's recognised as probably an A-grade player, um, but not necessarily elite, and probably that rung below all Australian. I think Ebo at his best, sort of looking at uh, 2013 um the first half of 2014, he was definitely a player that could have maybe been in an All-Australian side, but just didn't get there. Um, he's obviously regressed a bit since then. Mm. Um, but hopefully with this uh, with this run of form um, and confidence, he can get back up to that sort of level again. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Because I think we sort of need him to as well. Because I think he's uh, he's an important player. Obviously, we know he's... Uh, his running is uh, is fantastic, um, and he can get a lot of the ball and can hit the scoreboard. So if he can do that on a regular basis, that be uh, that would be wonderful. Look, I, I think a lot of Ebert is going to be defined by the midfield around him, um, and that's not saying that he's he's a front runner or anything like that. But if he is treated as like a top three midfielder in our side, that will not bring out the best of him. But if we can improve that midfield unit so that he's more like fourth or fifth, like we currently have Sam Gray advantage, uh, getting advantage from, then I think he could get back to that kind of form that you know would make him really good. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, what was your sour this week? Ah, uh, it's kind of obvious. Um, the third quarter, <laughs> everything mm. just fell apart. Mm. You know, that, that's pretty sour. Yeah. No yeah. doubt. Mine's pretty much the same. Um, it was the way that we surrendered control of the game and that we mm. weren't uh, overly reactive to the changes that GWS made. Um, I thought they went a bit shorter in terms of um, their disposal. They chose to run the ball a bit more and their pace really cut us up. We said in the preview um, that their pace and run was going to be a concern um, and it did actually tear us to bits, um, especially after half-time. Um, Scully had 17 touches after half-time. Shield had 18 um, Devin Smith had 14, Cornelio had 16, and uh, Steve, Stevie J had 11. Uh, we just had no answer to those guys at all, which was a real shame. Yeah, look, I mean, I've got to say, if we're going to take something out of it, I think GWS should be taking more out of it than we are. Because, in fact, it took them a half to counter the game plan of a side with as many deficiencies in our 22 right now compared to our full list as we have. Mm. Um, the fact that they had to have the long break to work out what to do about it, I would be worried about that because yeah. they have so much talent across every line. Like we were looking at that team in the preview 
there were not a lot of positions that we sh- would reasonably have expected to win. And in that first yeah. half, we were winning pretty much all of them. Um, yeah, so, so I reckon I reckon the momentum swing came a bit before the first half. I thought we had a terrible second quarter, but we got lucky on the scoreboard. Yeah, maybe. Um, well, I guess we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Mm. Um, but anyway, uh, once again, we've asked for questions on the Big Footy Forum, and we've got some rippers. Um, yeah. I want to start with uh, with the man Johns. Um, would you rather have the ability to predict the future, but you can't tell anyone, or have a photographic memory and tell people about it? Yeah, now this one I asked clarification for, and the clarification was that you'll know the future, but it's a predestined future, so you can't actually change it. Yep. Um, if it's that case, I'd really hate that. That'd be the worst. I would rather not know if I can't change it, because then what do you do with the rest of your life, you know? <laughs> like you yeah, kind of I guess be- it's... If, if you find out you're going to die in four days, it's like, oh, shit. Well, that's bad, but like, what if you find out you're going to die in 60 years and every other thing that's going to happen in your life until then is painful and you know you can't even commit suicide? Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, you know? like, I guess I haven't really looked out. at that. I, I've be, I was going to say I would much rather predict the future for sure because of the whole uh, money-making situation that you could yeah, no, that's uh, probably out, create from that. change the future. So that was the clarification from Johns, which makes it that you would never choose the see the future option. Yeah, well, in that case, you'd prefer to have a photographic memory. Yeah, so easy. near people. <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather have a packet of chips than be able to see the future. You'd basically be the main character of Suits, essentially. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Which isn't a bad thing, I guess. Oh, that's a good show. I like it. It is show. a good show. Underrated. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good. Anyway, uh, yes. Dylan Eight has asked a, a very uh, solid question here. He'd like a discussion about potential head coach uh, candidates. Ah. Oh. Uh, I don't think it's a good year for them. Um, yeah, I'm, I've put together a small list. Um, okay. Stuart Hughes on it, um, assuming. He also said I might have some inside info, uh, knowledge on assistant coaches or have done some research or something, which I haven't really done, um, mm. but we can have a chat about some names. I don't really feel entirely comfortable on this topic as I really like Ken and I think he's still going to be coached for some time. Uh, but if I was to list my top five assistant coaches who are in line for... Um, a senior job when it comes up. Um, I think we've got a lot of uh, similar names, or there's a lot of familiar names, I should say, rather um, players that we've uh, or coaches that we we know about. Um, number one would be Stuart Jew, who's um, mm. the senior assistant and uh, and midfield coach at uh, Sydney. Yeah, um, I think he's pretty clear cut. I think he's also maybe. Um, there might be some possible danger of him getting in the Scott Burns Choco Royal um, assistant zone. Okay. Which, um, where he, I think he's probably gone for three or four jobs and been knocked back, which I think was the same as uh, Scott Burns, and certainly the same as Choco Royal as well. Mm. Um, and Scott Burns has pretty much never spoken about as a future head coach anymore, whereas uh, he was all the rage probably you true, know, seven or eight true. years ago. Um, and it's kind of the thing where I guess Kenny Hinckley went went through the same thing as well. Where okay, well he's been knocked back for three or four jobs now. Why is that? What's wrong with him? Mm. Um, so if he doesn't get the next one that pops up or the next one that he um, sort of aggressively applies for, then he might be in the danger of being a career assistant coach. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a thing. Like you talk about how there's three or four jobs and it sounds petty to think that three or four jobs could end it, but that's a quarter of all AFL clubs or just under a quarter of all AFL clubs. Yeah. So um, that is actually a pretty significant sample size, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, look, I mean, Stuart, Joe, <laughs> 
It'd be a great it, story. Oh, it'd be really difficult, though, because we already have the baggage from hiring Matthew Primus, which is that we stayed in club, we stayed in Schler, and then we say, ah, oh, Ken Hinckley's no good, we'll go back to Inshallah. That's kind of how... I now, don't think... Yeah, I know I've, I've thought I know about this today, and I don't but, think the situation applies. I don't think the Jew and Primus comparison can be made, because Primus came to Port Adelaide in 97, and he didn't leave until he got sacked as coach. Like, he stayed there, he, he literally yeah. retired from playing, went straight into assistant coaching, then went straight into coaching all at Port Adelaide, and then got sacked. So he was there yeah. for, like, half his life. Whereas Stewie Jew's played at Port Adelaide, won a premiership. He's one of our all-time heroes, one of the most loved Port players of all time. Um, he's then gone away. He's gone to Hawthorne, won a premiership, uh, worked under that system. He's then gone to Sydney, won a premiership there as an assistant coach. So he's gone away. He's done his due diligence elsewhere. I reckon it would be a great homecoming to have uh, Stewie Jew. Look, I understand that would be good in that respect, but then it just makes me worry about the selection, like for me, it's just as much about making sure we follow the right process, yeah. and the, it, it makes me worry. Like if we would pick Stuart Jew, and especially if there was not a particularly rigorous selection process, I'd be like, oh, what's going on? Bad old days, job for the boys, sort of stuff. Yeah, um, but, but he also, also... recognises probably the next one up in terms of inexperienced yeah. assistant coaches. He's Absolutely. pretty well recognises the next one off the rank that's going to get a job. So. Yeah. If we would consider he would be the best um, available candidate, I would say that you know it would just be part of the story. But yeah. Matt Lane has written in and said, uh, Jew left on relatively bad terms. I don't think there is any connection there. He hasn't so much as been back to the club since he quit. Um, hmm. I'm not sure he left on all that bad terms. I don't know. Yeah, but I know there was think... rumours, but I'm not sure they were 100% right. I don't know. Uh, for me, Joey always felt more like a centrals player that's playing some games in the AFL than a port player. Yeah. Um, you know, like he was so keen to play in that first centrals premiership and things like that. Um, yeah, I, I'm i not sure that's a super strong connection. I think yeah. that's probably right. But I don't know that it may necessarily mean there's animosity. It just might be that it's not a super strong connection, which is yeah. fair. Um, my number two would be Lee Tudor who's okay. currently at North. He's their forward coach. Um, he's won a, pre- a VFL premiership in his own right as a senior coach. He's also worked at Sydney, St Kilda and North in assistant roles. So um, he's someone that's um, that's had a lot of experience. Um, his name has bobbed up in recent years as a potential senior coach. Um, I think he's got age on his side. Um, he's obviously worked in some uh, successful systems there as well. Um, he'd be one to uh, consider for sure. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, I guess when I was sort of thinking about this topic, and I thought about it a little while ago, um, is that you want to think of... Usually the, the, the people that go on to become premiership coaches are not just part of a successful system, but the place they were at has changed because of their influence. Yeah. Um, and that's why looking at this year's ladder, which is really pretty stagnant, apart from the inclusion of GWS, which is talent-led rather than coach-led. Mm. Um, that's what makes me worry about the stocks of players, of coaches. And I'm going to preempt you and hope that Nathan Bassett's on your list because that improvement in our defensive unit this year is probably one of the few things I would point to for an area coach and say that's a clear gain. I deliberately didn't put any assistant coaches on there. Okay. 
because I thought I'd look uh, elsewhere and see what else is available. Because we all yep. know about Bassett, we all know about Matthew Nix. Okay. Um, so I thought I'd list some uh, some other names. But okay. the next player yes. we do know about, Brett Montgomery from the Dogs. Yeah. Um, he's senior assistant. He's also worked at Carlton in an assistant capacity. Um, he is someone who has been there through their rise, and I reckon he mm. would be a fair candidate. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, it's, it's useful. Um, oh, I don't know. It's not always a give uh, Yeah, okay, yes. It, look, he's, he was always a smart player, and usually it's the halfback flankers that can be good coaches for whatever reason. <laughs> so it. I'll go for it on that basis alone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number four would be Robert Harvey who's at Collingwood at the moment as a senior assistant and midfield coach. He's worked at Carlton and St Kilda as well. That's not exactly a strong resume. Yeah, probably not. I think he was at St Kilda through uh, some of their good times. Yeah, but they're St Kilda good times, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair. That's fair. Um, My number five would be uh, Adam Kingsley. Yeah, well, what's his CV, though? He was really highly rated. He's their midfield coach at the moment. Obviously, he's uh, been an assistant coach at Port Adelaide in the past, moved to St Kilda. Um, he's someone who's very highly rated um, in the AFL system and um, mm. could very potentially get a senior coach's job in the future. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Outside of that, uh, you'd be <laughs> looking at um, some experienced guys, really, like uh, Ratton, for example, so... Mm. I'm not sure anyone wants that. No. Look, honestly, I would not be sacking Kinkley this year. Mm. Um, if, if, if for no other reason than the fact that his remaining contract is so long, um, I'd probably take a shot next year and yeah. see if these guys are still any good next year as well. Yeah. As I said, I don't see Kenny getting sacked anytime soon. I think he's going to play out his contract. I think we'll, we'll improve next year. Um, and this will all be uh, a moot point, really. Hopefully. Mm. Hopefully. That'd be good. Mm. That'd be nice. Mm. Yeah. Positivity. That's what we're going for. Um, Andre has asked the question, can Hinkley or a new coach improve our skills, or do we have to draw lines through players? Um, well, you know, my policy is very much um, with a pen in hand. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's a recruitment thing to be addressed in recruitment. As much as anything else, I don't think you can teach players to kick that are already 25 or 26. No, that's right. Um, then if you can, it'll take a long... By the time they've figured it out, they'll have retired. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's recruitment. Recruitment. Yeah, absolutely. I think we need to draw the line through some players. Um, some of these guys, as you've said, have been on the list for a fair time now and still haven't improved, still can't hit targets, so... Uh, I, th- I definitely think it's a recruitment thing as opposed to um, a teaching thing or a coaching thing in, in terms of skills. Yeah. I think look, you I mean, can refine skills, but I don't think you can teach bad kicks to become good kicks. Yeah, and look, there was some discussion on the boards, which I remembered because it agrees with me, something I've said before, which is, you know, that's how brains work, um, which is saying that GWS is really fast across the field. Um, and mentioned other couple of teams that had a, an, an excellent point across the field, and across the field we don't have anything consistent that you'd say it's hard to beat Port because you can't match that many players that are blank. We don't have yeah. that. Um, we've tried to make it hard work, but that's not sticking. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's recruitment. That's it. Uh, Andre has asked a question, if in form, would you play all of Pollock, Amon and White to help address our lack of speed? And I just yes. have one word for that. Yes. I said that last week. We should actually do that. So, yep. yeah, totally yep. agree. 
for sure. Uh, Long live PAFC has asked the question, should the AFL adopt the NFL-style premiership list rather than team so that every player on a list who plays during the year gets a medal, not just the grand final 22? Um, Look, I don't mind that uh, in that the ones that didn't play, that's all they're getting. And that's fair enough. Like, it's nice for them to have a memento of being part of the side. They might have played games that contributed towards it. Yeah. I think it's like, I think it's, is it the NBA that if you played a game that season, then you get a medal? Is that the one? I think that's probably yeah. better. I think in so, the EPL, um, you've got to play a, a certain percentage of games. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I, think I mean, it's I like, think you it, know, 40% of games or something. If you play over 40% of games, then, uh, then you get a medal. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if you made it something like, if you're playing a win in that season, you get a medal. Like that would be, yeah. I think that'd be a pretty fair line. Yeah, I think you can actually um, request the AFL to give you extra premiership medals. Um, okay. For players, which the, I don't think they do often, but they do on occasion. Um, so I guess it would be for guys like I don't know Ben McGlynn from Sydney, for example. He played all year and then just missed the grand final because he got injured in the in the well, prelim or something like that. The, the classic one would be, and it would be nice if they were retroactive. The classic one would be Matthew Primus and Josh Franco. Yeah. Yeah, mm. no doubt. Uh, Past My Primus has asked a, a good question here. Where are the biggest holes in our list? Um, the same question can be put another way. The player types we should be targeting uh, this off-season. Look, I don't think it's a one-off-season job, unfortunately. It's going to take two or three to really start plugging holes. Yep. Um, obviously, we've got an issue with Ruck, which we have to work out which direction we want to go. Um, that's one everyone knows. Key forwards definitely is still something we need to address. Uh, Butcher, I think, uh, he's still on the out. Um, Dixon is okay. Schultz did not look good on the weekend. Um, so that's an another flaw. Um, we're still trying to get our centre square midfield up to scratch, and we lack a little bit of depth there that would make the secondary midfielders damaging. Um, so that's an issue. Uh, the key defenders, Austin, I'm happy with. Cleary, I'm not sure about, but behind them, we don't really have a lot. Um, really, the only area in which I would say that we are 100% rock solid is halfback flankers, and even then, we would like someone with good kicks. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I know it sounds grim, but if over three drafts we can address that stuff, it will help. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for me, I think our key four depth is an issue. I think we definitely need at least one uh, young key forward to come in um, at least this year, uh, probably another next year as well. Uh, I think mm. we need another quality inside-leaning mid and probably yep. two quality outside-leaning mids. Yep. Um, and most importantly, I think uh, everyone we draft needs to have good skills. That, that has to be an absolute 100% prerequisite this year. Look, it either has to be that or it has to be like they are all like the old Geelong side, like really quite tall for the position they play and with the size to back it up. You know, there has to be something. There has to be a vision that they say, this is the team we are now recruiting, you know? Yeah. Um, and it has to be something that is durable, that, you know, doesn't disappear after three years. Like uh, speed is the difficult one to maintain because speed is one you have to constantly keep recruiting for it because it does die off as players get older. Yeah. Um, but strength can stay around a whole career which is why we still see Geelong kicking around reasonably well for a long time. Um, if it comes down to precision kicking, and again, that's another one that'll stay around a whole career, and I guess that's why premiership sides usually have a combination of those two as the thing that you go, oh, I wish we were strong like them, I wish we kicked like them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they've just got... The, whatever it is, it has to be something that doesn't deteriorate with age um, and that you can recruit for in all positions. That's my yeah. view. No, that's fair. Uh, we just got a question on the uh, Spreaker chat forum from Matt Lane, who said... 
Why have we had literally no tall forwards come on since Tredre? Literally the only homegrown forward who generally contributed for a while. Um, and you've got to say that's, that's been a big a bugbear of both of us for a long time now, hasn't it? Yeah, well, that's entirely on us. Um, and we've had opportunities. It's really nice for us. Like there was one stage we'd say, oh, we're finishing in finals all the time. We don't have an opportunity to get a key position forward. Like, okay. But then, you know, the start of this decade start happened and we still haven't done it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like that tools draft we talk about, the 2009 draft with um, Butcher in it. And, you know, like we could have got Jake Carlisle. It would not have been hard. And he was certainly on the radar of a lot of clubs at that time. Yeah. Um, you know, the next year we could have got Darling, you know, not that he'd be the solution in and of himself, but another great addition. Um, and more importantly, you'd need to take more than one shot at a key position forward when you're trying to develop them, you know. Um, you, you need to use the good picks because when you're using the good picks on key position forwards, it's because not because they are automatically the best players, but because you have to, because you, there's so much competition to get those players. So. Yeah. Mm. Oh, look, it became a bit funny with the Crows for a while where they just seemed to draft tolls <laughs> with every single draft pick for about three years. Yeah, uh, but, but that's what you got to do. If you, if you want depth, if you want to get yep. talent, if you want uh, to create something resembling a premiership list, you just have to keep drafting tolls. Hawthorne did the same thing. Yeah. Even though they had a, a pretty much a locked-in forward line, they still drafted Bo Dowler. They still yep. drafted Mitch Thorpe. Yep. Um, they still got in Jack Gunston. Yep. Um, and Sean Makers. He, he yep. was drafted as a key forward as well. Mm. Um, you just got to keep going back to the well until it succeeds. And then you yeah. can look elsewhere, I think. But I think that's been a problem of ours for a while. We just haven't necessarily gone to that well. Um, no, with that's decent it. enough picks. And look, Justin Westhoff has been a success story. There's no doubt about that. For someone that was drafted with the second last pick in the draft or whatever it was in 2006, he's been a roaring success for what he's done. Um, all the others that we've picked just haven't been uh, able to to be developed. So is that a draft issue or is that a development issue at the club? Um, I'm not convinced it's a development issue. Uh, I, I reckon it pretty much has to be a draft issue because we just haven't had as enough commitment to drafting those players, you know. Mm. Um, the last time I can recall that we had something vaguely serious in that regard was back in the last decade, I think, when SNFL level... I remember this week because it was unusual. I think it was we had we had the centre half forward at four clubs. Um, that might have been the nineties even, um, and it was like you know Chad Corns, Barnaby French, even though it wasn't a, it wasn't a centre half forward, um, yeah. Damon White, and someone else. I can't recall the fourth one. Um, like we were actually trying at least at that point, and they just weren't being good enough for the top side. But you know, because we tried, we did have Damon White, who was actually all right. You know, he was not a great player. But he's certainly, if he was in my list right now, we'd be playing him. Yeah, um, you know, Toby, yeah, Toby Thurston's. Like, the year, yeah, we drafted Toby Thurston's. We drafted, what, Morgan as well. Yeah. Uh, Morgan didn't work out. Thurston's did. You know, it's, you're going to get them wrong with the tall forwards. But if you want to have that opportunity to become an excellent side, you've got you've to speculate. You, know, you can't just keep – and as much as having Charlie Dixon come in at age, what, 25 and something, and he'll be here for four, five years in good form – if we if we if we're lucky, um, that's only four or five years, uh, and we in which case we need to recruit another key forward right now to replace him because it'll take four or five years for them to be, you know, top four quality key forward. Yeah. 
Yeah. Not everyone's sure. John Brown. There's only one John Brown, for example. And what Lance Whitnell, another example, what one, two seasons that were half decent. It, it's the young key position forwards are usually not all that great. So Yeah. Mm. Anyway. No, that's fair. I, I think <laughs> we certainly need to be drafting probably a key forward every um every year for the next few years, to be honest. But um just to try yeah. and get that sort of depth and, and hopefully one or two of them succeed. And I know a few people have said, oh, well, we've got Dougal Howard. Do we really need to um, to go back there? And the answer yes. is yes, we absolutely do. Because um, that's the only way you're going to get to depth in key positions is uh, to keep going back. Yeah, and um, look, and I mean... drafting them. And I think particularly with tools, if you can get them in as a job lot, um, I think it makes it better for all of their development. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Really. Uh, so next year is supposed to be a good draft year, for example. Yeah. Um, so we definitely don't want to trade out any next any second next year draft picks this year. Yeah. Uh, and ideally we'll pick up a couple. But like that might be a good time to really load up heavy on draft picks next year, I think. Yeah, for sure. And look, the Crows didn't get them all right either. You know, Seller was a flop. Oh, yeah. Um, Tippett left. Davis left. Uh, Gunston left. Aaron Kite was a flop. You know, McKernan didn't work out, but they still kept drafting them. Yeah, and, that, and that's yeah, the absolutely. thing. They still drafted like Josh Jenkins when he came was probably like the eighth key position forward on their list. Yeah. Um, sometimes you just got to do that and hope it works out. Yeah, and look, way. we talk about we talk about them leaving, but you know that the only reason they left is because there were new teams coming in, and guess who they wanted to poach? Yeah. Key position players. Yeah. Uh, so you know. Hmm. And look, key position players are always in demand, as you yeah. as you just said. They're always in yeah. demand. So even if they're yes. not getting a game, but they've showed a lot of talent, you can get something for them. Yeah, well, Troy Chaplin, classic. Mm. <laughs> he got a four year contract out of having a fairly mediocre career, but if you need the backman, you need the backman. So yeah. Uh, next question: Har Wingard has asked, uh, "Was that the game where Chad Wingard's lack of defensive effort outweighed the benefit of his offensive side?" I think so. Yeah. He was yeah. uh, he was not good on the weekend. Um, Heath Shaw was just about their best player and uh, absolutely tore him to shreds. Yeah, I think that we saw this week, I suppose, an exaggerated version of what we've seen in other games when Chad Wingard's quiet, which is that when he's quiet and he knows he's quiet, he takes risks that he that he should know aren't going to work. Yeah. So he'll have shots at goals that's like, oh, you know, you're good, Chad, but nah. You could have had options. You could have tried something a bit less me, I will save the day, than that. Um, and that's, you know, that's, sometimes that's just the price you pay for having a, a star player with supreme self-confidence on your list. But I think he probably does grab a little bit too much at half chances when he feels he's a bit behind the ball. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, JBC has asked the question on the Spreaker chat, we should always load the rookie list with raw tolls as well. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, my thought has always been um, that you always have a ruckman and you probably want a key position player and then you can have a mature midfielder and then another player of your choice. That's yeah. my that's how I would do it every year. I'm going to disagree that we should load the rookie list with raw tolls, especially raw, well, maybe ruckman mm. because they often tend to work from the rookie list. Uh, yeah. Maybe key position defenders as well also mm. seem to work um, a reasonable percent. But key position yeah. forwards from the rookie list, no chance. Nah, basically. They, they very rarely work. I went through the stats um, a couple of years ago. I think in the first year we started doing these podcasts and, and on the first draft review. And I think the the success rate for rookie list 
um, key position forwards drafted in about the 10 or 12 year period before that particular draft was something like 4%, which is uh, not very good. <laughs> so you've yeah. either got to strike at gold or you're just going to get someone that doesn't play a game. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, I think that when you draft players like Snelling on the rookie list, that's exactly what you should be doing. Yeah. Um, you should be drafting guys that you at least know can play, but they might have doubts over their ability. But when you're yeah. drafting tall forwards at late, you're really just drafting a body and then wondering how good you are at teaching them to play football. Yeah. <laughs> and, tall yeah. forwards are one of those things where you've got to pay... Yeah, the quality and the price you've got to pay for them are pretty much in line. Mm. You can always find sort of gold midfielders off the rookie list, players that yep. come good from there. Yeah. Um, so I would much prefer the rookie list be spent for um, certainly a, sort of like a development ruckman. Flankers a, as well. And then a bunch of, uh, of pure midfielders that may have issues, they may not be quick enough or they may not um, have the, uh, the endurance at that particular time, but hopefully it's something that can be taught um, but they know how to play footy. Yep. Essentially. That's yep. what I think. And, and no one under 182 centimetres. Yeah. Uh, Far Kern has asked the question, um, and I guess Portmanteau has asked a similar one as well, so we might as well join these two together. Oh, okay. Um, to what extent is it reasonable for us as a supporter group to demand 22 rounds, 88 quarters of sustained excellence from such players? Uh, to what extent has this year's performance been a reflection of squad depth? And Portmanteau has asked, um, in the cold light of day, have we finished about where we should base on our injury list and suspensions? I'll do the last one first because I've forgotten the first two already. I have a bad memory. <laughs> yep. um, yes, I think we have probably finished about where we should. Um, yep. We have had a lot of injuries. Um, in this middle part of the season, our players have worked a lot harder. Um, they have worked harder than the opposition in a lot of games, I think. Um, so I think we probably have finished about where we are, uh, where we should be. Um, if anything, we might even be a little bit lucky to finish that high. I think, you know, I, I, I've, for the players that are on the field, a lot of them I don't have huge criticisms about their gen, like their season in general, um, but that they exhibit tendencies that are not conducive to improving the side in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard because, I mean, there's no team out there that plays... And this is the other one, wasn't it? It was 88 quarters, is that it? Um, there's no team out there that plays 88 quarters a year. No. Um, there's not one. Um, so, but what you need is the guys that when they're not playing 88 quarters a year, like if they're forwards, they still kick a goal or two. If they're midfielders, they still get their you know, 15, 20 touches. You know, if they are out of form, they're still contributing and they're not breaking team rules. Like, that's the important thing um, for that. In my view. Yeah. I think once Monfries and Ryder were suspended, we were going to be up against it for a a premiership Mm. because we just had to find two more high-quality players to fill the gaps um, and develop. And whilst uh, Youngie's done a great job, um, yeah, I'm not not sure we've really um, been able to um, fill those gaps successfully enough. I don't think. Um, and the injury list has just made things worse. There's, there's no doubt about it. And people can call it an excuse but or a reason or whatever. Um, but there's no doubt that when you lose a lot of key players for a, a huge amount of the year, mm. uh, that's going to have a, an adverse effect. Uh, um, yeah, it's, it's not going to be good, <laughs> is it? Yeah, but it's not, to it's be not fair... Be for, our, um, for our chances of making finals. and um, So I think we've probably performed... 
if, if you were to say we would have lost the players that we've lost for the majority of the year this year and where we were seated on the ladder at the moment, I would say that's probably around about right. I'd say it was probably good for good for where we were. Uh, I think we're doing all right for what we've had missing. Um, and it's, and it's I think it's clearly that... a disappointment because everyone expected us to be top four. I think yeah. on the podcast we all said, "Yep, yeah, top four has to be the goal." We got a great, you know, we got a squad in form. We got a um, uh, a great new recruit in Charlie Dixon. Um, you know, Ryder's going to be great. Yada yada. Um, we got a fantastic fixture, and it just hasn't worked out. Yeah, and but look, I mean, we talk about the injuries, but I like, for example, I don't think we should be including Schultz and Carlisle on that list um, because they're both at the age, you know, where you can't expect them to play a full season anyway. Um, no. You know, like Schultz was, what, 2002 draft originally? Carlisle was 2005. That's both over 10 years ago. Um, so I think that, I mean, they'll probably both be gone at the end of this year, you'd have to say. Um, oh, no doubt. But I think... And, um... As we we've mentioned a lot on the podcast, I think you know when you train all summer with three key forwards, and then um, your number two key forward gets injured for over three months yeah. in round one, um, it's going to have a, a really bad effect on the team. I think. Yeah, absolutely, totally agree. Right. Well, that was great. Um, yeah. Let's uh, let's get on with our review, and obviously oh, okay. Port played a GWS uh, in front of a fairly small crowd of twenty seven thousand in what was probably the coldest I've ever been at a footy game, to be honest. It was absolutely ice cold out there. Mm. Uh, GWS left victorious by 19 points, 11 goals, 13 to 9 goals, 6. Uh, Brad Ebert kicked 4 goals and Robbie Gray kicked 3 for the power. Uh, I want to split this up into two halves and talk about the first half first. Um, okay. What were your thoughts at half time? How did you think we went? Um, I think... The Trengo was a genius machine. Um, that was that was most of it. Yep. Um, I didn't. I, I felt like that last little run of goals at the end of the half made me feel like maybe we could hang on. Whereas if we hadn't got them, I still would have thought we were pretty likely to lose. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they were lucky goals um, and that we didn't take that advantage uh, that really hurt us. But. Yeah, we had them on the back foot. We had them on the back mm. foot. Um, and that's what you need to do against fast sides. You have them on the back foot so that they have to have the excellent disposal, you know, because um, I guess as much as anything you could argue that might be where GWS might be a little, not weak, but, you know, exploitable perhaps. If they're under pressure, they're not necessarily going to be the best because they're not a hardened unit yet. You know, they haven't played finals, um, you know, finals upon finals yet. So... I think that that sort of pressure can still expose them, and I feel like we were playing in that first half. So, I think yeah. I think that first half of us will be a blueprint for other sides in the finals to play GWS. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I thought uh, I thought we had an excellent first quarter, um, mm. and even though it was very very low scoring, um, obviously windy, it was raining, uh, wasn't pretty, but I was absolutely enthralled by that first quarter and. The way we hunted and won the bowl. Now, we just killed them at stoppages. I think they flashed on the screen that it was 13-2 to two at one point in the first quarter, the clearances, yeah. which was just a, just wonderful. Trengove, the genius machine, as you called him, was, uh, was, doing, <laughs> <laughs> was doing a wonderful job. Um, all our midfielders were, uh, were getting the bowl and getting it forward. Um, we really seemed to relish the conditions and the contested game. And um, Unfortunately, I thought that stopped in the second quarter. 
Um, and that led to our... Uh, well, I thought our lead at halftime was a bit of a mirage, to be honest. I thought they dominated the second quarter. I think they had something like yeah. 21 inside 50s to 11. Um, and like, I guess, uh, North in the third quarter last week, um, they just couldn't put it on the board. Um, we got two late ones, which uh, gave us a decent lead. Mm. Um, but I don't think we, re- we really deserved that lead at halftime. Um, no, no. They had just... The thing that I really noticed, I sat a little bit higher than I normally would, um, and they adjusted their defensive line, and it really stopped us in our tracks. Um, I'm not sure what our game plan was, um, other than to hoof it long, which um, <laughs> it seems to have been that way all year. Yeah. Um, but it was really pointless, because GWS had four plays in a line on that last line, set up very similar to a soccer defensive line, um, and we kept kicking it over their heads to no one, and mm. they, they just ran onto the ball. Um, and instantly just set up another attack. It was incredibly frustrating. Um, so I'm not sure what our forwards were doing, whether they were um, not following instruction or whether the instruction itself was off. Uh, but I thought our forwards were too far forward, um, or sorry, too far up the ground, and they needed to push back probably 10 or 15 metres um, to be able to make that uh, a better contest than what it was. Yeah, look, um, there's a comment on Spreaker chat right now from Matt Lane saying, what what the hell is going on with our third quarters, though? That's purely yeah. coaching and mental fortitude. Um, We've yeah, only I think won so. six, six third quarters this year. Yeah, but look, I mean, the real exhibition of an injury, uh, injured, heavily injured list is that you lack options, you know? Like, that's the thing. Like, that your first 22 should be, ideally, all players that can play multiple positions, for example. And then the deep you go on that list, the more likely you're going to have is a guy that who they're a halfback and they're not much else. So Paul Stewart, for example. Yep. Um, and the more that that depth on that list is exposed and the more you bring in one-dimensional players, then that correspondingly massively reduces the degree to which you can manipulate your side to respond to a change in circumstances. Um, GWS has a well-rounded group of players. So even if they even if they have injuries now, um, well, because they've got those billion first-round draft picks, um, they still will be able to bring in players that can play multiple positions or multiple styles or have yeah. that versatility that is needed, that combination of speed or strength or whatever else it is. They'll have enough of those little ticks next to their name that they'll be able to come in and be more of a contributor than our guys that do the same. So, yeah. Mm. No, that's a good point as well. Um, I thought our defence held up exceptionally well in that first half. Uh, for, as we mentioned before, for such a young defence, yeah. I thought Austin and Cleary in particular did a fantastic job. Uh, Stuart was uh, was doing a good job as well um, on Cameron. Um, Burn Jones had a ripping first half, I thought. Hamish Harlett had a great first quarter and then literally disappeared. Um, I think he had like two kicks after that or something. Yeah. Uh, Brody was doing a really good job. Um, and in the midfield, I thought Sammy Gray uh, had a wonderful first half. That was just about his best half of footy. He's played all year. Uh, Travis Boak was great as well. And Ollie Wines um, was winning a lot of the hardball. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, just back on the defence, because this is something I've been thinking about, which is that usually whenever we sign a new player to a contract, I'm like, oh, it's too long, which is usually true. But I don't often say when a player should get a long contract when they aren't. And I think right now I'd be pretty happy to see Logan Austin on a three-year contract. Um, I'm really pretty solid on him. I'm pretty keen. Yeah. I think, I think we... I'd, um, I think we gave him a contract earlier this year, didn't we? Okay. I, look, I don't know. 
Continue. I think it's till the end of 2018, but I could be mistaken. Yeah, I'd be happy with another one on top of that, personally. But yeah, I yeah. just want to want to go out there and say something different to what I would normally say, which is I think this is a really clear example of a player that has clearly all the pieces that are needed to become an excellent player going forward. Yeah, for sure. Mm. So what were your feelings at halftime? Did you think uh, we were in the box seat, we were going to win? Uh, look, we were. Had concerns, but... or? It's absolutely. Um, I felt that we were in the box seat, not because we were unassailable, but because I just sort of thought the maths, you look at the conditions that we're playing in, the fact that we had that lead, um, it was always just going to come down to, I suppose, whether we, what they came up with to counter us. Um, but the problem is that they just reset and they didn't get so phased and they adjusted a few things. Yeah. We started finding it a little bit more difficult. We weren't getting clearances um, to the same extent. And, yeah, that's it, really. Yeah. Mm. As I said, I thought GWS got well on top in that second quarter. But I thought, considering that we kicked the last two, I thought, oh, I really hope that's the backbreaker going into halftime. But it always worked and got nowhere. And and we pretty much doubled their score at halftime. I thought, oh, if that can be the backbreaker, that that would be great. And hopefully, yeah. we can put the pressure on. Um, and if we can just get that first goal at, at the start of the third quarter, um, we could just about ice the game. Unfortunately, the second half happened, and uh, it was anything but that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. Review over. Done. <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. You're 100 percent spot on. Yes. I'm not sure what it is about third quarters, and I think we had the same issue last year with third quarters. Um, it just seems to be a thing where we, we just come out of the blocks looking so lethargic and we make some silly errors, and um, it just sort of compounds from there. You know, all it takes is... I think we had a couple of shots on goal to start the third quarter. We were, we were right in the game in the first five minutes, and then a mistake happened. I think it was Stewart that sort of centred the ball and it got um, got intercepted. They kicked a goal from it. Um, and then they kicked two more in about five minutes, and um, and the game was on. Um, and we just had no answer. As I said before, they, they adjusted their defensive line. Um, they started going a little bit shorter. They used their run, um, and we just couldn't go with them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess there's one thing to talk about, potentially. Um, I was a little bit surprised with the side that lined up. Um, did you think that we made the right choices from that bench we named? Uh, probably not. No, mm. I was uh, I was very surprised that Amon went out. Yeah, me too. Um, I was uh, really disappointed that Amon went out. To be honest, because mm. you know he's been playing some really consistent football the last few weeks and uh, the last sort of four or five games. Um, and I thought we probably needed certainly on the day with uh, with the the breeze and the wind and and the rain. I thought well we probably need his skills. Um, and his running capacity um, on the outside. Um, so I thought we, we really made a mistake there with that. Yeah, look, I mean, for me, what should be happening when, for example, Pollock and Amon are in the side together is that that should actually make both of their jobs easier. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the fact that we seem to think only one of them can play is just a little baffling for me. Mm. 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 Yes, Um Jimmy Beerkans has asked, uh, what else can we do with Hammer when he does go missing for periods? Trade him. <laughs> not, not give him a five-year contract would be a start, yeah, I think. That's right up there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, probably not making him vice-captain either, to be honest. But Yeah, that was a weird one. That felt weird at the time. 
and it's mm. been weird and yeah it hasn't worked I I really really hate Hamish Hartlett playing in the back lines it just does my head in I've never liked it um, I think it makes him exceptionally lazy I mm. think it gives him an out so that he doesn't really have to do much because he's not yeah. a defensive minded player even though I thought he did a, a pretty decent job on, on holding Steve Johnson for especially the first half um, it, it really gives him an out not to sort of chase and hunt the ball and, and use his damaging leg yep. if he's going to play anywhere but the midfield I think he has to play forward playing I, yeah, I, I yeah. don't understand. I, I really struggle to understand why he doesn't play in the forward line more often. For someone with his leg, his ability to kick goals from 55 out on a regular basis. Um, and we, he's just never there. Like He's either playing on a wing or he's playing in a back pocket. It does my head in. Well, for me, I kind of... Look, I mean, I, I agree, but I probably agree for different reasons, which is that... He's one of our senior players. He's our vice captain. Um, and I think that for the price tag he has, for the draft pick we used on him, for the status he has at the club, um, putting him in defence is a luxury and he doesn't provide enough for us in that role to make it a luxury that we can afford. Yeah. Mm. I don't know if we're playing him down back as an experience thing to try and help the young key defenders down there. Uh. Or whether it's to try and use his foot skills coming out of the back line. I'm sure that's it. I'm sure we've gone back to a Peter Burgoyne designated kicker situation. Yeah. And look, he was okay there through the second half of last year. He was Mm. was okay. Uh, Yeah. He played some all right footy. But I still think, when I think of Hammer's best games, there are always games where he has impacted the scoreboard. Talking about uh, the Carlton game at uh, Footy Park in 2012, where he kicked three or four goals, all from outside 50. I think uh, the Chad Wingard showdown, which was going to be the Hamish Hartlett showdown until Chad Wingard stole it from him, where he kicked three or four goals in the first half and was absolute lightning. Um, a lot of his games in 2014, he um, he spent time sort of swapping between midfield and the forward line, and he was mm. great all of that year. He was wonderful. Um, it's when he sort of goes down back where I think he gets a bit lazy um, and he just struggles to impact the play. Um, so I think we, as a club, really need to rethink that sort of strategy. So I don't think it's working at all. Yeah, well, yeah, look, I agree. I, I just think that for a player of his talent and, like I said, the payback and everything else, he, having him in the defence as a loose halfback is just pretty much the biggest waste of our resources that we could possibly manage. Yeah. Mm. Dylan has said, um, I like Hamish in the midfield and his appointment as vice-captain wasn't bad at the time, I thought. Actually, I thought the responsibility might have propelled him. And I think nah. we sort of said the same on the podcast that hopefully this um, this uh, you know this sort of responsibility will sort of make him a bit more consistent. But it hasn't worked that way at all. Look, I mean, honestly, I think that rationale I obviously wasn't on the podcast that time. But that rationale is idiotic, Macca. I'm just going to say it, <laughs> <laughs> which is basically if you're going to pick a captain, it should be the guy that is already good and is already doing all the things. You don't say, oh, if we make him a captain, maybe he'll magically improve because he'll have the moz on him. No, that's not who you make your captain. You don't say, okay, let's make a captain of the guy that we know can work harder but isn't. What what example is that to the rest of the side? It's bloody stupid. So, yeah, there you go. Owned. 
Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> well, no, you, know, you are right, though. You are right. <laughs> it's moronic. Ah, all right. Where do we go from here? Uh, yeah. Well, what, you want a specific answer or what? <laughs> well, what, what should we do with Hamish? That, that is the question. Uh, do you look, think he is trying? Do you think we would seriously look at trading? No, I don't. But that's because I think if we don't, I think we have. Look, honestly, the season is make or break for so many parts of Port Adelaide. It's not funny. This off season, I should say specifically, we should be past the point where Ken Hinckley's backing his boys in, and he should be at the point where he's willing to make harsh changes because harsh changes are how Premiership teams are formed. Yep. You know, um, Clarkson didn't start off. He, okay, he got a couple of good draft picks, but. You know, I remember reports back when he started at Hawthorne, he almost came to blows with Gary Bacanara because he didn't like how he was setting the club up. You know, like they come in and they make the changes and at no point do I feel that we've been sufficiently harsh since Hinkley came in. We weren't the closest we got to being harsh and Primus was ironically later in his time with us. Um, I think that he's at the point where he's been let down hugely by a number of players He needs to be ruthless, and that means not being the player's best mate, which I think he does like to be, and that's a huge sin for a senior coach, in my opinion. Um, He needs to make the tough calls, and he needs to be calculating and be a bit moneyball, which I know is a terrible use, and if REH is listening, he'll pull me up on it. But, um, yeah, he he needs to be really serious about building a premiership list. The entire club does. The entire club does. So. Well, that's what um, it's all about. Mm, mm, absolutely. You're either, just... you're either in the moment going for a premiership or you yep. have to be building towards a premiership. Absolutely. If you're and just good... being stagnant or just trying to make finals or just trying for little improvements or whatever, no thanks. Yeah, and look, honestly, we play good blokes far too often. Like We, we keep them around and for every Robbie Gray, there's 20 guys that we kept on for two years too long. Mm. Um, you know, that's no, I'm pretty, I reckon I could back that ratio up, um, pretty easily. Uh, it's, we are not ruthless enough at any time. No, no, I think that's, uh, that's certainly fair. And, and Matt Lane has also said, uh, Keith Thompson's comments re, uh, being a top four side that's out of form were his first genuine, uh, red mark and would have to say, I agree with that. Yep. Um, on Kenny himself, I think he has too much faith in his, in his boys, uh, it's good to have faith in your lads and uh, to back them in and all that sort of stuff. But um, when they keep letting you down, sometimes you've got to make hard decisions. And I think we were, we were probably at that stage last year and we are 100%, 100% certainly at that stage this year. And um, if harsh decisions aren't made this off-season, then I really don't know where we're headed, to be honest. Yeah, look, it's one of those situations um, and unfortunately we do have precedent here. Uh, which he's going to lie to us. He's going to lie to us for the rest of the year about the quality of the list until we get to off-season, then we might see something serious. Um, and the reason for that, if you recall back under Choco, we had multiple times, like every every person was crying for it, and we've seen that on the forum already this year, you know, saying, oh, look, stop, just give up on finals. Don't think about finals. Mm. Um, it's like, yeah, you can do that. But remember that year that Choco said we definitely weren't making finals? Yeah. Can you remember what happened to our crowds? Yeah, exactly. They, died in the ass. They absolutely yeah. were terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, and the second that KT says anything other than we're pretty good, check us out, 
buy a membership, three games, great pre-game, best pre-game in the AFL, blah, blah, blah. As soon as he stops doing that, the crowds are going to drop off. Now, they might drop off anyway, and in fact, clearly they kind of did this week, or there were probably other circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. But as soon as he comes out and says, yeah, no, we're screwed, (laughs) it'll be sharp time. (laughs) Yeah, oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. All right, well, let's... uh, let's, um... Head back to the game for a little bit. Yeah, sorry. Um, now, obviously, the player of the moment, the one we spent uh, half the preview chanting his name, Johnny Butcher, how did you see his performance? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was always going to be something like that, wasn't it? But... Yeah, look, um, it's... I actually thought he wasn't bad. When he had the bowl, I actually thought mm. he was really good. He, he was almost <laughs> like the anti-Butch um, this week, where usually... When he plays, he runs around like a rabid dog. Uh, does a lot of um, pointless chasing and all that sort of stuff. But uh, this time, when he got the ball, I thought something decent usually happened, which was great. Uh, but his defensive side of his game was absolutely atrocious. Sleek, yeah. Probably, watching at the ground, it would be the worst defensive performance from <laughs> a, a forward or a midfielder I've ever seen. It was that bad. Oh, look, and the worst part was that it wasn't that he was lazy, just that he kept losing where the football was. Um, you know? Yeah. It, it, and that's, look, that's, I'm fine. Look, I find it hard to criticise John Butcher for that because that's the difference between SANFL and AFL. Um, you know, it's, we saw a comment, I saw a comment just before coming on the podcast about how, you know, keeping Jake Need in the side because he chases is a bad idea because anyone can do it. It's like, no, they can't. You actually do need awareness of how the ball is going to be moved around. Um, in response to your running at the player with the ball, you know, otherwise you're just doing stupid running, and that's I think is definitely what John Butch has done in the past. Yeah. Um, and this week, the fact, oh, like, I don't think he, he didn't run, he didn't run smart. He was still running a bit, but he just didn't run smart, um, and that's a huge problem. Yeah. Mm. He was always going to struggle in that sort of weather, and look, it certainly wasn't a key forwards day. I think um, both teams' uh, set of three key forwards only took six marks total for the game. Mm, mm. Uh, so it certainly wasn't a game where he was going to shine from that perspective. But I thought every time he got the ball, um, yeah, he set up probably a couple of goals, I thought, which was uh, pretty decent. Uh, got involved. Um, but yeah, that defensive side is something that should probably seem go straight back out the side, to be honest. Well, I kind of agree, um, really. And the conditions, like that was the perfect conditions for a rabid butcher, as you say, yeah. you know, to be able to do that sort of chase and follow-up. If he had done that, he might have actually got on the goal, ball with the, uh, the, the board with a couple of goals, I reckon. Yeah. But he just didn't. Did we miss uh, Needy's chasing on the weekend? Um, yes, but we shouldn't have. But yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good response, I think. Um, we, we certainly shouldn't have missed it, but uh, I think uh, we've all sort of... I know we all uh, talk up his, his chasing and his defensive ability, um, and that's not the reason why he, uh, he's out of the side. It's his impact when he sort of gets the ball, um, and the fact oh, that he hasn't he's... really got a kick for about a month um, has been the problem. That's the one, yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we absolutely missed his defensive ability, and we just had no one, because Wingard was absolutely atrocious defensively as well. Mm. Um, so when two players in that forward line can't be bothered chasing, um, it really puts uh, the rest of the team under a bit of pressure. Well, I mean that, that's that's where it all falls down. You know, you talk about team defence. Team, def- team defence cannot allow for individual players. Um, 
because there are so many dependencies built into systems that you learn. You know, yeah. like if, if if Needy's running at one player and Butch isn't manning up the other, well, you know where that ball's going to go. You know, here's an example. Like, this is not a real example, but, you know, that's how it works. If you don't keep all the options under account and then have the runner, then it's not going to be a turnover. It's just going to be a kick to someone that's free. So it doesn't take much to have it all fall apart. Yeah. But when it works, it's fantastic. So yep. work great. How did you see Ollie Wines game? Yeah, yeah. I, look, I think I, he's another player I find hard to criticise. I think he's doing all right. But... Uh, he's copped a lot of criticism today on the forum. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it's unjust, to be honest. I think he'll look better when the secondary attacking midfielders are better. Yeah. A lot of people have said, well, he's regressed over the last two years. And I don't think he has, to be honest. I think he's probably, at the very worst, he's stagnated. Um, mm. I think he's still having a huge impact. As I said in the preview, I think when we went through our sort of best and likely best and fairest, I think I had him second or third. Yeah, okay. um, he's been pretty consistent all year. I, I certainly think his foot skills have gotten probably a little bit worse, but the same could be said for half the side. Um, certainly not just an, an isolated Ollie Wines issue. Um, but for me, I, I think he's um, he's probably uh, suffered from not having the uh, the support around him. I yep. think this year and, and certainly last year as well, where in 2014, which was probably his best year. Um, he was still our, what, fifth or sixth best midfielder. So he had he, he could run free a little bit um, and had guys in um, career-best form like Polek, yeah. like yeah. Matty White, uh, like Travis Boak, like Robbie Gray. Mm. He hasn't had that this year. Like Literally all, our entire midfield group has, uh, has stagnated or, or maybe gone back a little bit, um, which has put yeah. um, a lot of pressure on a, a young 21-year-old's shoulders. Look, I would say to anyone that wants to be critical of Ollie Wines, and if they're willing to take a task that I set them, which I doubt they will be, but let's say, um, is to go back and every time, look at the video, and every time Ollie gets the ball, see if there's anyone free within hand pass or kick range, like genuinely free and able to be an option, because I think that's clearly where it falls down, you know. He might get the ball, but then where is it going to go to? Who's there? We have a lot of players that like standing around and then there might be other players nearby that can easily intercept. We don't have a lot of people doing sideways leads or anything like that. There's no one just behind him ready for a receive a lot of the time. Um, that yeah. system around him is absent, you know. Um, it's there occasionally and when it's there, it usually looks pretty good, but it's just so missing all the time. I think, he, um, I think he's pretty keen on the mark and then the quick give. Uh, yeah. Oh, I don't like that. That's different. The the instinctive give, which I think he often stuffs up. Um, the handball often goes astray, or the the little kick doesn't hit the target and puts the team under pressure. And I, I think it's, it's those sorts of um, those sorts of things which he needs to sort of nut out, um, which would improve his game tenfold. I think. Um, then there would be pretty much minimal criticism of his game. I think if he was to uh, to solve those issues, but. Um, as I said, I love his inside work. I love his clearance work. I still think that's um, that's improved over that time. Mm, yeah. Um, I think he's sitting 14th in clearances in the AFL at the moment, which um, if that's gone backwards, you're not going to be sitting 14th in the AFL, which is the highest he's ever been um, in the in the whole AFL. So, yeah. Uh, for me, it's all down to his disposal. If he can improve his disposal, 
um, he's going to be an absolute monster player. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I've said it a number of times over the years, but like, if you take a mark and you want to, if you're constantly looking for a hand pass off to someone that's jogging nearby, um, someone should cut off your foot. Yeah. <laughs> or your Matt hand or whatever said, else. Um, on the Spreak forum, he doesn't like to run with the ball at all, which is definitely true, true, I don't think. Um, well, he, he knows which, he's slow. In the first two years, I think he liked to have a bit of a run. Like to sort of burst free a little bit and and deliver a long pass forward, but yeah, we probably haven't really seen that uh, the last couple of years. So maybe that's something to work on as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the captain Travis Boke. How did you see his uh, his performance? Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah, good. It's all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, I he was on, on the, he's on the same form line he's been in the last month or so. So yeah, I'm, I was okay with it. Yeah, I thought he was pretty decent. 34 touches, 9 clearances. Um, I thought he played his part. Uh, kicking skills were a little bit off at times. Um, uh, but outside of that, I, th- I thought he was uh, one of our better players. Mm. Oh, yeah, I agree with that, for sure. Yes. Uh, Robbie Gray was another who I thought was uh, really good on the day. Um, oh, he's always so dangerous, isn't he? He is. He looked uh, super dangerous. Every time he went near it, something seemed to happen. He kicked three goals, set up a couple of others as well. Um, yeah. Uh, again, similar to Boki, maybe his kicking skills at times um, through field kicking was a little bit off, but um, outside of that, I thought he was great. Yep, totally agree. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we should Brendan be disagreeing Archie, more. Did you? Yeah. Oh, no, no, or no, did thanks. you think? I just don't think he does enough. I just don't think he does enough, really. He's, he's struggling, I think. Yeah. He's hugely struggling. Probably. Yeah, he's become vanilla. Know. He just seems to be such a 50-50 player. Like one week he uh, he performs all right, the next week he seems to struggle. Um, and it's just that lack of consistency which really hurts his game. Oh, look, honestly, I don't think it's even that. For me, I'm willing to put up with an inconsistent player that's finding consistency if they have highs and lows. But I think he has sort of like eh and low. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I don't... I don't think we've seen. I don't think I've seen a moment of real excellence from him this year, which is a huge disappointment no. considering what we saw late last year. Yeah. So we've seen him in shit form, and we've seen him in eh, okay form. But if he doesn't have that top level, if that's not coming back, he's no not worth having on our list. Yeah. Um. So that's where we're at. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jared Pollock. Yeah, well, he's that's different to Archie in that he has does have that top level sometimes. Yeah. So that makes it I'm more willing to put up with that sort of inconsistency because at least you know that there's a chance he'll work towards that top level. Um, I think that he look he's just off, isn't he? He's off, Pollock. Mm. Um, he just seems completely void of any sort of confidence at the moment. Um, unfortunately, um, because we know he's such a damaging player, but I think he's form is always going to be in line with the team's form. I think he's that sort of player. Um, I can't think of a game that he's played since he's been at Port Adelaide where the team hasn't won, but he's played exceptionally well. That is fair. Yes, totally agree. I can't think of a single (laughs) example of that happening. He's almost like, um, I know PC copped a lot of that, where it's like, oh, well, if PC doesn't play well, then Port don't win. But... um, I think it's almost a case of, well, if Port don't play well, then neither will Jared Pollock. Yeah. Yeah, look, I'd say that's not an unreasonable comment. I don't... Yeah, I'm not, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you pinpointed that. <laughs> Which makes me think, well, where's he at in his career as well? Because if he's going to be that sort of player, do we really want that sort of player 
on our list? Um, no, 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 no. Which might well, sound harsh because I really like Jared Pollock and he's the best kick in the side by a long way. Yeah, uh, look. Um, but he really struggles to find the ball when we struggle to find the ball. Um, and when we struggle to find the ball, uh, even when he does get the ball, he really struggles to do anything with it. Like on a couple of occasions uh, on the weekend, he just looked to uh, to centre the ball, one got cut off, and that was just about the killer um, in the last quarter there. So, I don't know. He's a, It's an interesting predicament for Jarrett. Yeah, look, I mean, I think that given his last year of injury, I think... Given the other changes we are likely to make this year, I think he probably gets another year on the list. Yeah. But if we got a half-decent offer, I might take it. Yeah. Mm. We talk about being ruthless, and if we got a, a really good offer for him, I think that's probably an offer we should take. Oh, look, if we got an early second rounder, I'd be very much considering it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, anything else you want to talk about from the game? No, no, I don't think so. Um, other than that, I just want to say it again, Trengove is a genius machine. Genius machine. <laughs> That's going to go down in uh, podcast lore. Uh, uh, that little no, phrase. No, he, look, he's, he's, he's really good. and um, It's disappointing, but we know where we're at as a side, and this is where we're at. Um it makes the rest of the season a bit disappointing, but, you know, hopefully we'll see some encouraging signs and hopefully it won't be encouraging signs from the players that have encouraging signs every time we uh, crap and can't make finals. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of melts about the game on this weekend, and I don't know, for me, this is the least disappointed I've been, I think, for yeah. a loss this year, I think. of. I went away thinking, yeah, well, you know, we... Probably did better than I expected, to be honest, but um, the game sort of ran how I thought it might run with their, their midfielders getting on top, and that was the game. That was it. I was probably a lot more disappointed with every other loss this year. I kind of feel like, um, as a rule, people are always going to take these losses to Gold Coast and GWS on the rise more seriously mm. um, because they don't yet rate those lists probably where they should be. Because yeah. they haven't proven it yet. Like if we but had the same, GWS are same... a bloody good team. Oh yeah, absolutely. Second but on the ladder. We... Someone said on the forum that um, this is losing to GWS this weekend would be like how teams felt losing to us in two thousand one, two thousand two. Yeah, which is yeah. probably fair. I reckon that's exactly on. Yes. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. They're a bloody mm. good team. They're they're going to win premierships. Well, they're going to make top four a lot of times. Mm. Um, we'll see if they're going to win premierships because that's going to come down to coaching. Just the quality that's not in the team at the moment is obscene. Yeah, but you can't Absolutely keep it. Absolutely obscene. That's the thing. Like That's why they keep shuffling players on. Like Honestly, the best thing you could do to screw with GWS is to stop trading for their players for three years because they'd have to lose them to the draft then. They wouldn't get trades for them. Um, yeah. <laughs> which but would require the silly thing is they're going thing. to lose... They're going to lose McCarthy, and considering he's still contracted for another year, yeah. they're probably going to get something pretty damn good for him. And that's a player that's never going to play for GWS again. Um, Adam Tomlinson, they'll probably get someone really good for him too, and he's someone that's you know, probably not going to be a first 22 player for them ever again. No. They're going to get, once again, they're going to get a lot of pretty high up draft picks for players that aren't part of their first 22. It's, yeah, uh, it's crazy. 
Well, I mean, it's what basically an extension of what they were doing, you know, before they were even really anywhere is they just keep pushing those picks forward so they can spread them over. Like they don't want to get caught in the same thing Port did where they had that initial burst of players and then everything fell in a hole. Like they're in a situation, unfortunately, like we talk about them being a threat for the next 10 years, but reality is they will keep getting these early draft picks for, you know, fringe or non-22 players for the next five years. Yeah. Um, and the players they draft with those picks will be 10 years. So we're looking at more than a decade potentially of GWS being right up there. We're looking yeah. at like 15 years because every time we let them bounce their picks forward in another year and used academy players and all that stuff, they're adding extra time to their duration. So, mm. you know. Um, I think they definitely probably got um, uh, maybe a few too many concessions maybe in terms of being able to trade uh, the 17-year-olds um, the, the year before their draft year, so yeah. like Brad Crouch and, and that sort of thing. I think maybe that shouldn't have happened, but it was. it's also up to other clubs not to make stupid trades as well, and GWS have been the beneficiary of, um, of receiving some really good picks uh, for, for players that probably aren't good enough. Yeah, but look, that's Economics 101. That's how you do it. You... Um call like in politics you call votes that most people kind of like that heavily pen upon each one and then you do it over and over and you just keep changing the groups around that's basically what happens with the trading with gws you know this year they'll trade with collingwood richmond and blah 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 um but every year i mean there's no solidarity among the other afl clubs so they will be able to keep oscillating and getting these ridiculous deals until they run out of talent Mm. Mm. good times yeah i look forward to our new uh, gws overlords Oh, it's so depressing. (laughs) It's going to be so shit. It's going to be so shit. I actually really like GWS. I love their players. A lot of my favourite non-poor players would be on their list at the moment. I know, but like, if you think about what it means, like that's stealing a generation of football from the rest of Australia. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) look, there's no doubt if um, you've had to have had a premiership-capable list before they came into the competition... Yeah. Because they've essentially, them and Gold Coast have essentially stolen three years' worth of um, the best talent. Hmm. Um, and that's... Bit, well, probably four years, to be honest, because they've been able to pre-draft players the year before they um, came into the competition anyway, as yeah, 16-year-olds. Exactly. Yep. Then they had all the t- first-round picks, um, and that happened four years running. So, yeah, good times. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that it's going to be interesting. I reckon they'll probably bring back the priority pick in future years in about three years' time, I'd say. Yeah. Um, well, if, if you're going to give one, then Brisbane's probably the team you give it to, especially if they lose the players that are being rumoured at the moment. Yeah, um, well, it depends what compensation they get for that too, I suppose. But Yeah. Yeah. Eh, oh, well. <laughs> All right. Well, another good podcast. Thanks for coming yeah, on. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, no problem. Sorry I called you an idiot. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. I'm going to cry myself to sleep. Um, and yeah, you are now banned from the podcast from now on, so bad luck. Oh, I'll get, I'll get to watch Q&A then. That's fine. <laughs> no, it's a fair call. I think it was Rick that made that call anyway, so you're really calling him an idiot, not me. It, so. it does sound like a Rick kind of call. It's definitely a Rick comment, I think. <laughs> yeah. Or palm that one off. That's all yep. right. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> all right, until next okay. time. Khan the power, Khan the magpies, Khan the Port Adelaide's in general. Uh, I don't know. Go and again, go Team Instinct. That's really mine. Go the Black Diamonds. 
Well, they've got three in about five minutes here. Well done. Could you do it again? It's going and going and going home. He's kicked three. Unbelievable. 